Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen concludes her two-part discussion with Deborah A. Dana on polyvagal theory and attachment. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I am your host, Karen Buckwalter, and joining you here from Chaddock. Uh, Today, we are going to be speaking about um, polyvagal theory with Deb Dana. So anybody who's done any reading in recent years um, regarding research application to clinical work knows about Steve Porges and polyvagal theory. Um, And as a clinician, in terms of the application of that, I think Deb Dana is one of the first names that comes to mind in terms of what do we learn from polyvagal theory in terms of applying it to our clinical work. So Deb is my guest today. I'm going to give you a little background about her before we hop on together for the interview. So Deb is an LCSW and she specializes in treating complex traumatic stress and lectures internationally on ways polyvagal theory informs clinical interactions with trauma survivors. She is also a consultant to the Traumatic Stress Research Consortium in the Kinsey Institute at Indiana University and the developer of Rhythm of Regulation clinical training series, which is another way that she's sharing information about polyvagal theory and clinical work. She is the author of the Polyvagal Theory and Therapy, Engaging the Rhythm of Regulation, Polyvagal Exercises for Safety and Connection, and the developer of the Polyvagal Thip flip chart. Um, And she also uh, co-edited a book with Stephen Porges called The Clinical Application of Polyvagal Theory, The Emergence of Polyvagal Informed Therapies, which that one came out in 2018 by Norton. Um, So Deb is also trained in internal family systems and sensory motor psychotherapy and a variety of other models. And I know that you are really, really going to enjoy this interview today. I think um, many clinicians and other listeners have maybe heard about polyvagal theory, but sometimes have struggled a little bit to figure out how to apply it to their day-to-day work with clients. And Deb is the master at helping us be able to do that. So she will be coming right up. Join the Knowledge Center for an experiential workshop designed to support successful engagement of parents in the child therapy process. Karen Doyle Buckwalter will be joined by Daphna Lender for the other half of the equation, engaging parents in child therapy. This two-day workshop on April 28th and 29th will focus on how to identify parents who need more focused work, how to set goals for the parent, and how to help parents initiate repair, and more areas to help the child, parent, and therapist get the most out of the therapy session. Registration is now open. For more information, or to register for the workshop, head to tkcchaddock.org. 
All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast for my continued conversation with the fascinating Deb Data. This has been so great, Deb. I'm glad. I'm, I'm loving it. I, I love this, this back and forth conversation. It's really, it's very nourishing to my nervous system. Oh, good, 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 good. Well, you know, uh, I think a great place for us to pick up here is talking about the social engagement system, which we've mentioned in passing in part one, but you know, that's a, a lot of the meat of the matter here in terms of what we're trying to do in, in our work. And so maybe just first even just talk Talking about like what is the social engagement system and why does it matter to us as people and as therapists <laughs> there's a big opening <laughs> yeah, well you know, and I, you know I love it because anything we talk about here matters both as people and as therapists because the nervous system is is you know we all have one and we're all in it somewhere and so it matters to us as as humans and then it matters for us as therapists so I love that you said that so yeah the social engagement system is this lovely um, way that over our evolutionary history this this cranial nerve 10 which is your vagus um, found its way to come into connection with four other cranial nerves and we formed this social engagement system that that helps us use um, eye gaze and um, facial expression and use our voice and even our, our head movements to send cues of safety to receive cues of safety and also to send warnings and to um, take those warnings in as well. So it's a system that really um, exquisitely broadcasts and receives and really as, as therapists, if we want to go there for a minute, your social engagement system and the way that you um, come to meet your client with your voice and your eyes and your smile and your head movement. That is your best friend when you are trying to send cues of safety to your client. And if we think for a moment about this telehealth world, all that is still right here, right? You know, we can see each other and we can feel those, those cues of, of safety or, you know, signs of, of um, warning coming through the screen this way. But yeah, the social engagement system is, is, is really um, where we depend on um, neuroception, finding those cues. Yes. Yes. And so talk to us about, you know, I'm a, I'm a theraplay therapist. Um, and so I think in many ways we, we are so working with the social engagement system in theraplay. And, um, I guess I'm thinking about, you know, why, how do we get that open and why is it so important that it is open? Cause I almost have, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I have the idea in my mind and I think it's consistent with what you're just saying and, and what I've read. If that's not open, the social engagement system, we're really kind of spinning our wheels, so to speak, like really like a whole lot of therapeutic change is not happening. 
Yes, absolutely. Because the social engagement system is an outcome of being in the state of ventral vagal safety and regulation. You know, ventral vagal is, I like to say that the active ingredient in all of these things. So when ventral is there, social engagement system comes alive. And if the social engagement system is not alive and you're, you're not anchored in ventral, if you're not anchored in safety connection regulation, you're right the system is closed to change and therapy stops and you can feel that when that happens and again this is you know we say you know it starts with the state you can try and convince someone to engage you can try to change the story that they're stuck in at the moment but you're fighting against the state and you know in my work I, I've you know sort of discovered the nervous system's always going to win that fight always and so i've learned let's go to the nervous system and let's you know welcome some ventral energy so that social engagement can begin to come alive and then you and i can work together mm -hmm. and i think in in theraplay you do a lot of things that you know find just the right degree of challenge we would call it you know the right, right degree of challenge for the nervous system that that i, I like to say we stretch the system but we don't stress the system and right. once you cross that line from stretch to stress social engagement shuts down and then you're in a survival response so, right yeah right. yeah you know and you're using um you know your face you're using proximity how close how far you're using your your tone of voice and every moment the nervous system you're in communication with is is giving you signals of is this the right degree of challenge is this the right kind of voice, the right movement, the right um, facial expression. And so our job as therapists is to be able to track that moment to moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm also thinking about this in terms of what would have been his historically referred to the resistant client. Or <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, the, the resistant client or the compliant client on, on the other side, right? Because both of those, a resistant client, you know, if we look through the nervous system, you know, there aren't enough cues of safety in the space, in the relationship for that client to feel able to engage. That's a resistant client. And I should be looking here at myself, not at my client. You know, what, what am I sending? And then how can I help my client find more cues of safety? The compliant client, you know, for me is often the same thing because the compliant client doesn't feel enough cues of safety to engage in an authentic way either. Yeah. We used to call clients needy. What's a needy client? For me, a needy client is a client whose nervous system has not had enough predictable, safe, co-regulating experiences that's all it is and so if i can offer and find a way for that client to have enough of those co-regulating experiences their biological need that we feel as a pull as a neediness is met and then they can move into being organized in a different way so all of those labels we use if we can look through the nervous system you can simply see in which way is that nervous system dysregulated yeah, and I think it's such, and even when you were talking, you know, I could feel my nervous system um, calming down and thinking what, what, uh, what a non-shaming, non-blaming way to look at both of those, which are just sort of two sides of the same coin in a way. Exactly. Yeah. 
didactic. Yeah. And, and, you know, when working with, um, with parents and kids, what a lovely way for parents to look at their kids. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a dysregulated moment for my child. Mm-hmm. For those of us in the world nowadays, we can look out and we can see, wow, we are surrounded by dysregulated nervous systems, right? Either in that sympathetic, mobilized, you know, fight flight or in that dorsal despair, you know, hopelessness. And, and our only way as humans to, to change our story is to come to that place where social engagement is active and online so that we can safely connect and communicate. Yes, yes. So, you know, one of the things I, um, from your book and, and some other interviews I've heard you give, you know, the big question comes like, well, how do we, how do we figure out like where our clients at with this? I mean, like that we have to have some like, like super x-ray nervous system vision into the client and you're like, well, Ask them. <laughs> I know. Isn't it lovely? It's simple. You know, ask the nervous system. It will give you the information. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so I, I would love if you could talk a little bit about, obviously, you know, that requires some common understanding, some common language, and, and you have the ladder and maps and different things that you use with some clients. But if you could share just some of the basics of some of those tools and then how that allows you to ask that question, you know, to a client and and get a a, a very pretty clear answer that you're both understanding, like how you get the language around that on the same page in a session. Right. So, so I do, I have a, I have a series of maps and the first map, the personal profile map answers that question. Where am I? Right. And, and again, um, I, I will invite um, therapists. You, you want to do your own map first yes. because you got to be able to answer that question. Where am I? Because if I am not anchored in that place of, of um, safety and connection, I, I cannot show up for my client. So the map is, uh, you know, I based it on a ladder because again, I took Steve for and thought, how do I make this understandable? And so did a ladder. And at the top of the ladder is that state of ventral vagal safety and connection. And when we think about connection, I also want to make sure we're knowing that connection in that state is connection both to myself to others, to the world around me, and to spirit. And those are the four domains of connection that are available to me in ventral. And then we go down the ladder a few rungs to the middle, and that's where the sympathetic nervous system lives in fight and flight. And then at the bottom of the ladder is that dorsal disappear, despair, hopelessness. And why I like the latter is because it helps us understand when a client goes to that place of disappearing, in order to come back to connection and ventral, they have to move through some of that sympathetic mobilizing energy. And we see that in our clients. We see them begin to come out of a state of despair and it can get really messy because there's some sympathetic mobilizing going on. And that's the time where we just really want to help our clients, you know, organize that energy and just feel enough of it so that they can move through sympathetic and get back to ventral. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the map is very simply, you know, and um, 
we can we can offer the PDF of the map for your listeners if you want. But it really, oh, yes, yes. It, yeah, we'll do that because it's it, it's a simple thing, and I'll give you the PDF and the directions for doing it because you you simply are identifying in each of these states what happens in my body, what are some of the things I think, what are some of the things I do, and what are some of the things I feel, and you get a very clear differentiation between feeling safe, feeling mobilized in sympathetic fight flight and feeling, you know, collapsed, despairing in, in dorsal. And once you do that, once you have that um, map with a client, then um, the question simply becomes, so where are you? Right? Mm -hmm. So if you and I had done that map, I could say, so where are you right now? Right? That's, and, and you, you know, I then use this for between session contact with clients and they might simply send me a, a message one morning saying, <clears throat> you know, feeling ventral. And I might send a message back saying, savor that. Right. Or they might send me a message, you know, when a client calls and they're in a, you know, in a really crisis situation. Right. Just tell me, where are you on your map? Because I need to know, are you sympathetic or dorsal? Because what I'm going to help you do is very different because in sympathetic, you are flooded with energy. Right. And so we're going to find a way to discharge some of that energy safely. But in dorsal, you don't have any energy. So we're going to find a way to connect you with some energy safely. So yes. it's, you can see it that having this this map is such yes. a helpful experience. Yes. Mm. So so Deb, I want to ask you something because um, I think it's easier for people to like learn things and, and retain them if we can relate it to things that are hooks already in the person's brain. Yes. So I think a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with the idea of window of tolerance. Got it. Yeah. Hypoarousal and hyperarousal. So how, how, how does this interface, how is it similar? How is it different? And I have my ideas about that. I want to hear your ideas about that. Yeah. And then I can hear yours. That's great. <laughs> yeah, because yes. And, and, you know, Dan Siegel created the window of tolerance and it's a beautiful, beautiful image to, <clears throat> excuse me, to use. I was trained in the window of tolerance. I'm sensory motor trained. Sensory motor uses window of tolerance. Um, most of us have an understanding of window of tolerance and we're trained that way. My, when I learned polyvagal theory, when I really dove in and thought this is the missing link for me, the window of tolerance then made less sense because it, it's not um, illustrating the hierarchy. And so the window of tolerance would be your ventral vagal state of safety and connection, right? right? Your state where you have enough organization inside your, your nervous system so that you can engage. And um, the window that is in the middle in the window of tolerance and then hyper above it would be sympathetic and hypo below it would be dorsal. And so I needed to take the window apart and, and put it on a hierarchy so that my clients and I understood you go, you can go from ventral to sympathetic and back again. You know, we're, we're, we actually do that more often then we go to dorsal. But that piece that we just talked about, when you do go and you go from ventral, you go through a moment of sympathetic before you land in dorsal. And the latter helps you really understand that and map that and then coming back up. Mm -hmm. You don't come right from dorsal to ventral. You you have to bring some energy back into your system, which is this flavor of sympathetic coming back up the ladder. So, you know, I, I invite people who do my, my trainings who want to jump in to say, so we're going to leave the window and jump on the ladder. So, Ah, very nice. Yes, that's very helpful. Um, again, it's, 
it's more precise in a way, I guess, of what's actually happening in the nervous system is kind of how I was thinking about it, which you explained much more eloquently. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And if you, you know, because many of you have, have, have trained your clients in the window, they understand the window of tolerance. Right. My clients all knew that. And when I made this shift to the ladder, and of course I'd say, okay, so I'm experimenting, you know, help me do this. And so mo much of my work is, is with great gratitude to my clients who have played with me with all of these things, you know, as we've been creating them. But when I presented the ladder and we began to map, it made so much more sense to them. And they went, oh, now I get it. And so I think you'll find if you kind of, you know, experiment and explore with your clients, they most often have that exper experience of saying, oh, makes so much sense to me now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Um, you know, another thing that you talk about a lot um, in your writing is helping clients notice a name. And, and I know and we started this conversation. The first part of that was like, what are some names one could use and, and, and how do we define that? But I think there's more to this notice and naming than just that. And I, I would really like you to talk about some of that. Yeah. So notice and name, you know, when people have an understanding of their three states. So for me, when they have done that first personal profile map, then the next step in being able to, you know, the, the first map introduces you to your nervous system. Notice and name helps you begin to really be in connection with your nervous system. Nice. Okay. And the practice is to stop often and say, so where am I right now? Right. So it, I do a simple, I don't know what it is, four or five step practice. So notice where you are. Name the state you're in, um, turn towards it with a little bit of curiosity, and listen for just a moment to what that state's trying to tell you. So it brings in a bit of story, but it's not your brain story. It's what is that state trying to tell you? Uh -huh. And then we practice that notice and name um, skill over and over and over. And in the beginning, you know, I stop often with clients in a session and say, so where are you right now? Notice it, name it turn towards it, listen for just a moment. And I would do this practice with a client first. Don't send it, send them off to do it. Because when they turn towards, they have to have a bit of curiosity, which means they have to have a bit of ventral on board. And they have to listen for just a moment. So I would give my clients like 20 seconds to listen and say, oh, come on back. What did you hear? Right. And then we would go on because the problem with turning towards and listening for many of our clients and even for us when we're in a, you know, a, a less resilient place is that we get pulled into that story and we get stuck there. Mm -hmm. So it's just really like listen to just a, you know, a sentence. You know, like, you know, this morning, um, I'll give you an example. Right. Um, my, um, I went to start my car because I was going to go out and do a couple errands before we yes. had our um, interview, and my car wouldn't start oh. yet again. Okay. And so I called AAA, and, but it was this sympathetic moment, and I could turn towards it and listen. And what my sympathetic nervous system was telling me was, you are such an idiot. This is the third time they've come in the past month. Mm -hmm. Right. And you could feel the, the, the mm -hmm. self-criticism in there yes. when I could just listen to just that much. And then I could come back and say, oh, OK, so my sympathetic system is really trying to tell me you got to figure out how to, you know, drive your car more often so that the battery doesn't die. 
right? But so, but I just wanted just enough to hear that, to get this this message, and then bring some ventral to it and translate it through my ventral to say, oh, okay, sympathetic is just trying to help me because our survival traits are just trying to help us. Its message was, you know, they're going to think you're stupid. Translated through ventral is, hmm, let's find a way to drive the car more often so the battery doesn't die. So it's an interesting sort of process to do and, and to be able to have some um, compassion for the other states, you know, for your survival states, because they're simply activating to keep you alive and out of trouble, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really thinking about that because I'm thinking about what would you say that's making the unconscious conscious? Yeah, it's bringing your implicit experience into explicit awareness. Okay. Yes. That's what all this work is. It's bringing implicit to explicit so that we can do something with it. Right. If, that, if that sympathetic energy just remains in the background and I don't turn towards it to connect with it, it's then you can, you can imagine what that's going to do in my system. Right, right. My, my, my homeostasis for one thing, but it's also, I'm going to, I'm going to begin carrying that story around that I'm stupid and, and I can't do things. And right. So that's mm -hmm. what happens when it stays in that implicit place. If I can bring it to explicit awareness, then I can turn towards it and go, huh, okay. So I get how you're trying to help me sympathetic and you know, let me see if I could do something so that I don't have to call AAA tomorrow, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about it. Um, we don't have time. Oh, this will be a whole other topic to launch into. But I do a lot of work with the adult attachment interview. And um, I'm a trained coder with the interview. And uh, you know, yeah. about Mary Main saying it surprises the unconscious. And, you know, one of the reasons that I feel like it's so helpful because it helps me help clients know these unconscious things that are driving their behaviors and yeah. causing them to really act in ways that they really, really don't want to act. <laughs> you know? So anyway, yeah. that's just kind you of, know, you, you know, you're right because when we leave it implicit, you know, it, it, that energy, whatever that's going on, again, gets fed up to your brain. And your brain's job is to make up a story to make some kind of sense yes. of what's going on in your nervous system. That's its job. Yes. And then our clients, or all of us, we just enter into that story and we think that's, that's us. So absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I have to, um, uh, as we're beginning to wind down here, I have to mention this question that I love that you suggest um, to use. How did that land in your nervous system? Yeah. Yes. So share a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. I really try to talk to the nervous system. I, I, I'm trying to narrate um, what's going on for my client's nervous system. And I think the question, where does that land in your nervous system? is such a lovely way to, to remind them that's where we're working rather than saying, what do you, what do you think about that? Or how do you feel about that? It's a very different conversation. It is. I want to have the conversation with the nervous system. So where did that land in your nervous system? Takes you right there to, you know, to your ladder map or to. It's such a totally different. I mean, just even when you say it, I respond in my body so differently. I mean, yeah. it really makes and a it, difference. 
saying it that way. Absolutely. And, and I learned not to say early on with my complex trauma survivors, where, what's happening in your body. That, again, that's a very different question than where does that land in your nervous system? And you can feel the difference when you, when you take that in. Your nervous system is simply your biology working. And I found that many, many trauma survivors could go to their biology working when they couldn't go to their body. For some reason, it was. Yeah, I, I mean, I even feel that my myself, I mean, uh, where do you feel that in your body and these guided imageries and things? That I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. But when, when you say it this way, I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I, I know. I can relate to that. I can feel, I, I can uh, capture some data on myself about that much more yeah. effectively. Yes, that's a lovely way to put it. You know, you get the you get the data from your nervous system, and when you've done your map and you simply say, "Where does that land in your nervous system?" Then the map comes to life and it connects easily that way, and people can say, "Oh, here's where that landed." You know, yeah, and, so, yeah. and I'm getting information like so when I, you know, say something in a certain way, I say it. Where did that land for you in your nervous system? I get the feedback, and sometimes I know my intention is to have it be a, a ventral vagal welcoming experience sometimes it doesn't land that way in another person's nervous system and it's a lovely way to get that information right so oh well let me try again and now we can play with it let's find the way for you to receive this that does land in your nervous system in a way that feels connecting yeah and i think that you know in our final minutes here i want to allow time for you to share about your books and and everything all the great work you're doing but I was thinking I wanted to just devote a minute or two to the therapist. And we have talked about how this is relevant for the therapist, not just the client, but even in just that example, it could be, you would ask that. And then the the client gives you feedback. That's not what you were hoping for or expecting. Right. And you could get really dysregulated yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I really invite therapists to, to do all of the exercises, befriend your own nervous system first before yeah. you do any of this with clients. Because yes, I had a client who was very able to tell me that kind tone of voice is, is um, activating my survival, sympathetic survival right now. You know, and, 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 oh, doesn't that like, oh, but I'm offering this love, you know, it's like, oh, great. Thanks for telling me because I can use another tone of voice that still is offering connection, but it has a little more energy behind it. So I have to be open. And in order to be open, I have to be anchored in my ventral. I have to be anchored at the top of my ladder. And that really is the, you know, the, the work for, for we therapists to stay anchored there and to know when we get pulled out of that. Again, this is a when we're working in this way, we're really telling our clients, wow, you might have noticed I just got pulled out of that place of regulation for a moment when you gave me that feedback. But I'm back there now and so let's play around with it. Oh, so I love name. that. Mm, yeah. 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 Oh. So it's a way of affirming what's happening for them. Mm -hmm. right? Which many, many of our clients never had the opportunity to have that, you know, being witnessed in that way and affirmed that, yeah, absolutely. Here's mm -hmm. what happened and your nervous system felt it. And I'm just letting you know, you got it right. 
Yes. Yes. Oh, Deb, thank you so much for for all of this work you're doing, helping us um, understand polyvagal theory and understand practical application of it. It's just fabulous. Um, Share with our listeners your books, your workshops, your courses. I know you move some things online like many have. Oh, gosh. Yes, everything is now online. So how do they get more of this? Um, I know people are intrigued and want to learn more. Uh, Well, you can go to my website, which is rhythmofregulation.com. And there you'll find all the worksheets and workshops um, and interviews and all of that sort of stuff are there. And um, my my second book, Polyvagal Exercises for Safety and Connection, is, is just out in the last month or so. It's really things to do with your clients and then have them practice between sessions. And interesting time for it to come out because you know practice between sessions is really a helpful thing to be doing right now because you can't you can't reshape your nervous system one hour a week it doesn't work that way Mm -hmm. we have to be doing something all the time so Mm -hmm. that's uh that's that and then i have a a flip chart coming out later this summer which i'm very excited about so that clinicians have a have a cheat sheet that they can use to show yeah i know it's gonna be fun yeah so and and i will say that the process of of creating it and getting all these images and playing with what representations you want has been a um, an autonomically challenging experience. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. You know, oh, how does it, oh, I don't really like that, but I don't know what I do like. And again, if you learn to listen to your nervous system, and follow the wisdom that's in there it's a it's a it's an interesting way it's a lovely way to move through your world so that's my invitation well thank you thank you so much for being willing to be a guest on attachment theory in action and it's been a lovely interview and i've learned so much so thank you for the time i had a lovely time getting to know you a little bit so thank you bye for now Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.